Hello, everybody. We are back. Welcome to the Don't Hate Us, But We Started a Movie Podcast podcast. It's a very long name, but it will be shortly changed uh, in due time, as Sam will talk about. But this episode is continuing our Secret Santa series in which me, your host for today, Dane Holtz, will be gifting three movies to our other podcast cast members, Corey, Sam, and Samir. So getting right into it, I should, well, before we get into talking about our three movies. Can we talk real quick that you're, you might be the only person that actually knows the title of our podcast right now. Well, here's it. He's the only person to bother to say it. I usually just abbreviate it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I don't know it and I have it. I'm on the website right now and I have it pulled up so I could just read off of it. I feel like it's. The last time, potentially, that we have this name. Might as well say the whole name, so, yeah. Yeah, I know. End of an era. People will look back and, like, the hipster fans of us will be like, oh, you like their new podcast? It's all filming <laughs> games. I like when they were Don't Hate Us for starting a movie podcast podcast. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even sure if that's the right name. Yeah. I know. Truly revolutionary, and that's all I'm going to say. It's um, like when those companies uh, do those simplistic little redesigns and it just loses all its flavor. That's essentially what we're about to do with our rebrand. Yeah, we're gonna, no, more, no more Minions or Richard Linklater. Yeah, it's going to be like a Mandela <laughs> Effect thing where, where people are going to be like, wait, isn't it the Don't Hate Us podcast? And then we'll get a how-to episode made about us. <laughs> yeah. Love you, John Wilson. <laughs> so I mentioned a website... And yes, yeah, you did. Our podcast, our group, has a website thanks to Sam Maricalio, and he is going to explain a little bit about our uh, our website and blog. Thank you so much, Dane. It is an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast with you every week. Uh, to the other two, not very much, but we'll go into the blog. Um, and I, yes, we started a WordPress blog like any good film bro does uh it is called films and game not a plural on the game filmsandgame.com uh it is in our link tree on our twitter if you were looking for it uh i'm thinking that we just you know we can use the blog for so many different reasons but one of the biggest things we'll be doing is movie reviews uh rankings of movies as well as just a general discussion about film that you know will supplement your hankering for our uh, film opinions when we're not doing the podcast. Uh, I posted the first article last night. I am ranking uh, the 100 movies I've watched during the pandemic. I reached that mark last week. Um, so if you want to know the 25 worst films I watched during the pandemic, <laughs> oh my god! If you, if you, oh my god! It sounded uh, like you just threw up. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was genuinely I was concerned. <laughs> I thought I was going to. No. Yeah, which I don't. I don't want to spoil the article for those who want to check it out. But Samir, you and I should be pretty proud that we were able to to nab the 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 bottom two spots on a uh, on Sam's three, list. Well, yeah. yeah, bottom two actually. Yeah. Yeah, bottom yeah, two so spots. And, yeah, Corey and Samir are horrible at recommending movies. That's the majority of what the article is dedicated. About, but yeah, so go check out that blog. Um, for listening, everyone, 
Yeah, and thank you for that little voice crack right there, Sam. It was cute. <clears throat> Burps, voice <laughs> cracks. I I Sam's got do it all. I don't know what you're talking about, Dane. It's all, it's all coming out. You're like, uh, you're like Rudy Giuliani. You're leaking all over the place right now. Um, yeah. So there were. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we're uh, slightly sauced already for this episode. <laughs> Little rosy in the cheeks. All right. So this Christmas, uh, two movies came out. One on HBO Max, and that is Wonder Woman. 1984 the other is pixar's soul which uh launched uh in theaters but also on disney plus uh we have all watched soul and i believe only Corey and i have watched wonder woman so i'll go ahead and open it up what did you guys think about these two holiday releases one thing i will say about wonder woman 1984 is that it is like surprisingly disinterested you can tell me if you disagree dane but it's surprisingly disinterested in evoking the decade of the 1980s. You know, most 80s set films are filled with like, you know, needle drops from the, the, the 80s, which, you know, I've said on this podcast in the past, I don't always love using like light songs in movies, but I do think that's pretty integral to like the 80s as a decade. Um, and I, I was surprised that there really wasn't any of that here. Um, there's like, you know, a couple moments where they talk about, you know, like 1980s fashion and things like that, but it does. F- it is surprisingly much more interested in the politics of the 1980s than it is the culture of the 1980s, uh, which I think is, um, I would personally characterize that as a failure on the film's part, but I suppose you could also view it as a strength if you, if you agree with some of, uh, what it's trying to do. But yeah, how'd you feel about the movie's relationship to the 1980s, Dan? So, well, you mentioned like the music and, and wanting to really evoke this feeling. And visually, they definitely did that. They had, a, it was a very colorful movie and fun in that sense. Uh, for me, the Steve Trevor jokes in which he is just like that fish out of water making, really just throwing the fact that it's an 80s movie in your face. It, they, it got tired after a while. Uh, and you talked about the music. A part that sticks out to me in the movie is there's a, a moment when Steve Trevor and uh, Wonder Woman are going down an escalator and there's a classical piece of music playing and it's on an action scene. It really doesn't do anything for the scene. And the only thing that I could have thought of that would have made it better is if they would have just picked an 80s song. So there are a lot of very strange choices in the movie and how they kind of interpreted the 80s. Uh, other than just really color colorful clothing and like the mall scene and stuff like that. Uh, I honestly, it, it kind of failed in the 80s sense, but not entirely. Like you talked about the politics part. It definitely had like the businessman politician aspect after all. Um, uh, and a weird focus on like Saudi oil <clears throat> magnates, yes. which is like, you know, obviously there that was a sort of, figure in in 1980s politics but um a strange thing i think to focus on in a movie about wonder woman and steve trevor exactly and that's kind of where i feel like the movie really falls into this rut of where it just doesn't know what it wants to be whether it wants to be like a a political thriller-esque which is very much seen with all the politics in the movie or if it just wants to be like a fun campy uh film in the sense of like 
Thor Ragnarok being being colorful and just exciting. Uh, I really thought that the the mall scene was going to be what the entire movie was going to be, which is just really fun. Um, like I said, campy take on the character. Yeah, I, I would have been very down for that. I thought that opening scene, or not? The, I guess it wasn't the opening scene, but the second scene of the movie set in the mall was perfect, and it, it, it evoked the '80s, like we, we were talking about. It had the the campiness, the color. Uh, you know, I mean, Gal Gadot literally winks. She winks at a little girl, but she essentially winks at the camera mm-hmm. as if to say. As if to say, look, like we're in this goofy movie, and like I, like I know it, and you know it, and we're all in this together. Let's have some fun. But that's pretty much the last we get of that. And from there, it's surprisingly complex and, uh, like again, political, and just and just it, it bites off more than it can yeah. chew, uh, which is surprising because this is what I want to get get your thoughts on too. Is I mean, Wonder Woman, the first film, is by far the most well received film uh, in the DC extended universe. Uh, and it was sort of the template i thought for what dc superhero films could be one thing that i think uh, i both like and dislike about dc films is that they never really commit to a formula we know there's an mcu sort of formula which for better or for worse make all of them feel kind of similar but they're consistently good and so there's no um you can't criticize that formula too heavily because there's no denying that it, it works the dceu never really had its formula and I thought it found it with Wonder Woman, but it seems to me that with Wonder Woman 1984, they're basically like, at least director Patty Jenkins or maybe the DCEU as a whole is saying, you know, we just don't really care about formulas. We just want to constantly try new things. Do you feel like they're, that was what they were trying to do here? Just like, just break from the formula for no reason? Or, or, or why do you think there was such a drastic shift from the first film to this one? See, that's kind of where me falling into it, uh, I kind of look at, they really wanted to take Wonder Woman through the ages, and if they wanted to do that, they should have went all in with the 80s tone. Instead, I think ultimately what happens is the movie is stuck in between becoming a new twist on the character with it being an exciting 80s uh, like spunky movie, and it taking too much of the tone from the original movie, from the first one. I mean, the first movie is a wartime film that's it's very serious uh not very serious but uh pretty darn serious and uh i think it it the movie just falls in this weird tug of war where it's like do we fall back into the trap of having steve trevor be this important side character and have um this intense political warlike setting for the movie very much with like the the saudi stuff um or do we go into more uh, a fun, more comedy esque? Uh, um, I don't want to very well, yeah, like more Stranger Things, just like a fun movie. And I think that's for me, like where the movie really falls. And I think for me, like one of the things that really makes the movie stuck in this rut is Steve Trevor. And this will be the last thing I really say about this. And we can move on the soul. But Steve Trevor, to me, was the worst part of this movie. His, the explanation for him coming back is lazy. It feels half-assed. And it it really was just an excuse for them to bring back, bring back Chris Pine. Um, and I, I think he, I definitely think he hurt the movie. So I want to, what are your thoughts on Steve Trevor as a character? Yeah, I mean, well... To me, what I would 
what stuck out to me the most is just how awful of an actress Gal Gadot is. And I think uh, we all sort of knew that after the first film, you know, um, but it really became apparent here. And to me, what's interesting is I think that it seems to me that DC and Warner Brothers sort of recognized that themselves and were like, oh shit, we can't let her carry this film on her own. That's why there a lot of the movie focuses really heavily on uh, Christian Wiig's character, Barbara. Yeah. Uh, it focuses very heavily on Pedro Pascal, who I think is excellent in this movie. I thought he was a lot of fun. He look, he's the only person who seems like he's actually having fun here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but And that's also, to your point, seems to be the reason why they brought back Steve Trevor. Uh, I think just to let Chris Pine sort of, sort of share the screen with, with Gal Gadot. I agree, it didn't feel necessary. It didn't feel earned. It didn't really feel warranted in any way. Yeah. Um, so- but, but one thing I, w- I will say... Um, and I think this kind of can help us sort of segue into into, into Soul and get, get these other guys involved here. Is so uh, you know I I wasn't a huge fan of this movie as our conversation probably suggests. I did have a lot of fun viewing it, um, and just more broadly, I like I was really excited to watch it. Like I I've watched you know new releases throughout the year still. Like I you know uh, Sam and I w- watched Sound of Metal, which I know we all watched and talked about. Uh, I just you know, recently watched um, another round, which I hope we'll get to in a, in a future episode. But there is so something about that that blockbuster, the the superhero film, and another one that fits in that category is like a um, a Disney Pixar film like Soul. There's something about when those new releases come out that uh, they definitely activate a part of your brain I, that I think is like very unique, where you you feel excited, you really feel like you're a part of something special. You can tell this is going to be something new, whether it's a terrible film or a great film. Um, it does kind of get you energized, and I, I definitely felt that going into watching both of these films as far as the final products that's a separate story yeah i mean my my overall thoughts like same thing Corey. going into it like i, I was pumped uh i enjoyed the movie i had a fun time watching it but i was it a great movie no was it enjoyable yes um yeah, uh, in comparing it to like the Mandalorian, I would finish an episode of the Mandalorian and immediately FaceTime people and be like, "Holy shit, that was awesome!" But this, I was like, "Yeah, it was good." Uh wait, Dade. I honestly think you're being more positive. Like to even say that you enjoyed it is different from what I've been seeing. I don't know. Maybe I've just gotten into my hive mind about how fucking dog shit superhero movies are. But I am seeing reviews from many of the people that love or like superhero movies in my life saying it is one of the worst superhero movies ever made. And I don't know if we've gotten that across on this podcast so far. I, no, sweet, I think, I, I mean, Dane, I don't want to speak. And that's what I was kind of getting at is that I do find the politics of the movie really strange just because it, it yeah. again, it bit off no, more no, than it can chew. Mine's, dude, I will never like. I don't care about the politics of any movie ever. Like, I'm well, that's not great that. either. <laughs> I know, well, I know. Maybe yeah, that's a further I, I'll, indictment I'll on boil myself. It. But I'm saying, I'm saying that it's like people are saying it is long and boring. It and is long. It is hilarious that it's two and a half hours. But I'm with yeah, Dane. I, I was. I don't despise it the way others do. I mean, I've seen much worse superhero movies than this. Yeah. Well, personally, for me, like one of my favorite things about the first Wonder Woman movie were the action scenes. I thought they were very cool, the way she's just, like, sliding around on the ground and how they utilize slow motion. And very much, like, with the mall scene, there's a car chase in this one. That action is still there. So when those were on and it was your more exciting, 
uh, like battles and and just fights and stuff like that, like your actual superhero stuff. I I has ha- was having fun with it. For me, it was everything, just about everything in between where I was, I had tuned off. Um, I mean, I wrote a letterbox review view talking about how in this movie there's a MacGuffin that is awful. Uh, mild spoilers here, but essentially it grants people wishes. And it is so lazy and just, like, like I said earlier, like half-assed that I, I didn't really care what was happening there. But when the action was going on, it was... It was at least, like I guess, visually pleasing. Um, so I, I found enjoyment there, and the colorful eightiesness to it added to the action scenes. Um, in terms of like the actual story goes, was it boring? Yeah, it was. It was pretty hella boring at times. It. So I mean, <laughs> no, and yeah, that's the best I'll ever get out of Dane. <laughs> I. And just to speak, I just want to say something about the politics really quickly because I do think it's it's worth mentioning. To me, I I I uh, I do feel that like again, this movie bit off more than I could chew. It didn't need to deal with some of these bizarre like oil politics of the nineteen eighties. Like that's just not Wonder Woman's realm. You know? But what I found even funnier there, there's a moment in this that I I really think deserves mentioning because I thought it was so outlandishly hilarious. So, you know, as Dane mentioned, there's a big part of this movie that has to deal with uh, granting of wishes. And there's a big montage towards the end of the movie where, you know, the the villain of the film essentially gets to grant everyone wishes all across the world. And there's, they randomly show, right? Like, we all know how in the 1980s there was a lot of division in Great Britain between the British and the Irish. We're, we're aware of spoilers, some of that history. Spoilers, by the way. I said a little bit ago, but yeah. spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, spoilers. This this spoilers is about the MR, so, the IRA. Yeah, the IRA. So they there, there's a moment in a, in like a British pub where uh, this woman just yells at, a, at an Irish man and says, "I wish all you Irish would just go back to where you came from." And uh, the I- Irish man says, "I wish you British would just drop down and die." And of course, now their wishes are being granted by by uh, our our villain here. And and so it's it's just like an absurd moment where these things start playing out. And I'm just like, really? I just watched this movie. Like, you started showing me Wonder Woman winking at a little girl in a mall while she hugged a teddy bear. And all of a sudden, you're like talking about like the, the IRA <laughs> divisions in Great Britain and why granting of wishes is going to lead to this like mass political decline. I, I mean, it, it's just it's absurd. Like this movie has has no business biting off what it what it does. Um, I don't think it it uh, fails <laughs> in every realm, like Dane said. But it just it just makes some bizarre bizarre decisions that I I I hope they weren't Patty Jenkins because they make me question yeah almost everything about about her decision making. And speaking of conglomerate big budget movies, ooh, good transition, <laughs> Corey. Okay, well, okay, I guess what, soulless th- horrible. This movies, is where we're gonna get into Corey. soul. Um, we're gonna save uh some of our discussion for a future episode, but initial reactions guys how did what did we think about this movie all right let's start with the positives because i think we are three fourths of the way there i think it's very obvious that three fourths of us have our lives like somewhat together like we have experienced like happiness at some point during the pandemic and one of us has not sam you're making light of depression (laughs) 
That's all I do. Um, no, I would, I would say uh, this is, I was honestly shocked, but I think this, correct me if I'm wrong, this could possibly be the most divisive Pixar movie ever made. I think so many people are giving it either a five star or a one and a half star. Like there is, I, there, there is not a whole lot of overlap. I am of the frame of mind that this movie has faults. It's not perfect by any means. Um, but overall, I, I very much enjoyed this movie. This is definitely one of the best Pixar's um, I have ever seen. And by I have ever seen, I mean ever made, because I've seen every single Pixar movie. So I was a big fan. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I laughed, I cried. Uh, I I really enjoyed the the final <laughs> message of the movie, as I know someone has some gripes about that. Um, the other thing <laughs> that I thought surprising was that some people think that this movie wasn't very funny. I thought it was pretty damn. Call them out, Dane. Call them out. <laughs> Call them out. Who said oh. it wasn't funny? It's all not right. funny. Alrighty, Call him already. It's not well, a funny movie, guys. Fuck you, Corey. It was funny. Um. So yes, uh, <laughs> Corey thinks it is. It wasn't super funny. Uh, wasn't funny. He'll get into that. I I was laughing the majority of the time. Uh, not the majority of the time, but when it was warranted. Uh, I don't know if it was because I watched the movie with my family, so we were able to kind of collectively uh collectively laugh at the more silly uh pixar-esque jokes in it but yeah overall i also really enjoyed it as a pixar movie thought it ranks very high on my pixar list in terms of their films uh but yeah Corey, what did you what did you think about this Guys, this movie it's really not good. Pixar's soul is oh, not. You're so annoying. It's it's not a good movie. And I and I, look, I'm no one is more disappointed than I am that I feel that way. I really really love uh as Dan mentioned this movie's message. I it's a message that I find myself kind of like wrestling with constantly in my life and um it's a message that I think I resonate with very strongly when I find it in films. But that's just it right there. I've found this message in films. I found it in countless films. There seems to be this sense, and I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of me- reference this now. I'll, I'll get into this a little deeper uh, in an article that I hope to get up on our on our new blog. You can also find it. I don't think I honestly, I don't think I ever plugged this on my site. You could also or on on our on our pod. You can find it on. Oh, wow, the self promotion's uh, about to happen. Yeah, I have to. You know, um, find it on my blog must read r that's must r e i d dot com. You can find uh, me talking about soul a little bit more. Uh, and I've even mentioned this for, uh, for Screen Rant as well because I'm that fired up about it. it I'm like, this, they definitely didn't greenlight that. This uh, I'm trying <laughs> my best. <laughs> no, yeah, they 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 love this movie over there. But yeah, this idea, this theme, this notion that oh, your life is more than your career. If that is really as groundbreaking as we're seeming to suggest that it is, maybe. Like we like, I mean, like I know we live in a in a heavily very capitalist society, and and that and that and that's something we're trying to combat against in America. But goddamn, is that depressing? If if this is somehow the first time people are hearing this, if this is so mind blowing to people that that life is about more than just 
that thing you're passionate about like really like like i love again i love that idea i think it's important and i'm thinking about it constantly but i found that idea was dealt with beautifully in sound of metal which we talked about extensively on this very podcast yeah which seven-year-olds are watching I thought it was dealt with beautifully in classic <laughs> films, like It's a Wonderful Life and A Matter of Life and Death. It's been dealt with beautifully by Pixar's own films. Coco had the same fucking plot as Soul, a musician who's misunderstood by the people. Coco Coco's about a musician who's misunderstood by the people around him and goes into this alternate reality, meets another person who feels out of place in their current reality, wants to swap with them and go back to the, to the real world, and then it turns out they can't do it in the end. Wait, that sounds familiar. That's the exact fucking same story. It, like, <laughs> so and then, and then, how about Inside Out? Inside Out also breaks down, uh, you know, the inner machinations of our mind into very literal parts. It's lazy. It's not a story. It's just an idea that never becomes a story. It's it's really a letdown of a movie. It really, really is. And I, I can't wait to talk about it more on future episodes. Yeah, honestly, we should just transition from there because I think reader, the listeners will probably be so angry at what Corey just said. Uh, I can speak for I can speak from personal experience. I'm getting I don't know if you ever like hear an opinion that gets you so mad that your armpits start getting sweaty, but like my armpits are getting so fucking sweaty right now. <laughs> I'm getting so fucking mad at what Corey has to say um, that we should just transition into. Wait, can I, but, but, but we don't we don't have to respond to everything I said just now. But you gotta admit the Coco comparison is a little damning. Okay, it was it is a good Corey, comparison. If there's one thing I'll say about you, it's that I'll never agree about anything you ever say. So <laughs> I absolutely do not agree about that Coco opinion. And oh my god, so no, you know, fuck it, no, I I will save it for the real debate. It's gonna be we sh- we have to bill it like a, like a five star fight. Yes. <laughs> Like, in this play. corner so, like saturday 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll be a very interesting discussion on uh what pro- most likely our next episode but uh yeah i, I think yeah, definitely our next episode. i think pretty pretty mixed emotions to the movies that had come out uh three on one and the two of us had watched wonder woman but uh yeah, so with that, I say we go ahead and move into the main course of tonight, which is my three movies that I picked for our Secret Santa podcast. And now, just in case this is your first time tuning into our podcast and you have not watched any of the other Secret Santa podcasts that we had done, episodes we have put out, essentially what our Secret Santa is, is that Each one of us had our own episode in which we pick three movies that we believe everyone on the podcast will enjoy, but specifically one person would really like. So maybe one of my movies is for Corey, one's for Sam, and one is for Samir. Then at the end, we guess who the movie was for. So with that, my three movies that we will be talking about today are Akira, Mystic River, and Evil Dead 2. Yeah, I think it's worth noting out before we get into it that Dane already defined the rules in a very Dane way. He said, you're supposed to pick three movies that everyone will enjoy, which is not <laughs> at all, at least what's, at least with, for what's, I know well, Samir what and I, I did. for me and Samir, we did not uh, 
we did not. I made sure that at least two of you would despise Bronson. So uh, I, 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 I appreciate it because I, I agree that um, I think as an overall trio, you definitely brought us the strongest trio of films. Yeah, of I, yeah, I try. I try. Yeah, I mean, I tried to pick three movies that, for the most part, are, are pretty well known and pretty well received by a lot of people. And I, I thought that in just about all the movies, there was something that you guys would enjoy. So uh, going with that, I'll do this. St- uh, let's go along with the list of Akira, Mystic River and Evil Dead. All right. So moving right along with movies, animated movies being potentially more aimed at adults. That was a terrible segue, by the way. Um, but my first movie we're going to talk about is Akira, directed by Katsiro Otomo. Sorry if I mispronounced that, but yes, Akira is a movie that I had watched at the beginning of the pandemic, and so far this year, I have watched this movie four times because, yes, wow. because it was one of those movies where I watched it, immediately thought, this has Everything I love about movies rolled into one. I don't know how I haven't watched it since now. And I need to get as many people as I know possible to watch this movie. So I was constantly uh, with roommates and and friends at home uh, watching this movie with them to get their reactions. And yeah, I mean, overall, the animation in this movie is just unfucking believable the the story and what it sets up in terms of a, a sci-fi genre was pretty pretty darn new it, it definitely is inspired by blade runner and i think over like the last 45 minutes of this movie are just insane it's breathtaking it's draw drop it, dropping it's shocking it's Everything rolled into one. And one thing I will point out too is that for me watching this, it kind of is a little bit of a twist on the superhero genre. Um, I mean, at this point, we you got the Superman films. Um, I'm not sure if Tim Burton's Batman had come out yet. I believe this movie came out in that was the that was the next year. This is eighty eight. Next year, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. So, um, but still, like coming off of this concept of superhero movies you take that and ask yourself what would happen if superman was bad which is something that's played with nowadays but for this being when it came out it's very new very original and just overall like this movie really blew me away so i'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about akira i mean watching this movie I knew Akira was an influential movie. I knew this, like, spawned... This is one of the original cult classic anime films. And this is essentially the adult anime film that made adult anime popular. But I didn't realize how important this movie was for pretty much, like you said about superhero movies, like, a lot of what this does about related to, like, anti-heroes in superhero movies is evident. But just the way that they film like action sequences i could see i could see its influence i mean talking about what i liked about this movie this movie might be the best world building that i've ever seen in any movie like yes like i 
was blown away. Like, if, if the animation now blew me away, dude, in 1988, like, you must have just been, like, mind blown. Like, it is so, it is so beautiful. It is so gritty. Um, I'll get more into, like, the little parts I, I, I would change about this movie. But like you said about that last 45 minutes, like, I, I'm a big, like, I don't like boss battles or, like, the big final sequences in superhero movies. But this final, like, boss battle, essentially, is one of the coolest, most disgusting, like, just, like, mind-blowing things I've ever seen. I, this movie is as good as everyone has said, which is insane, because I didn't think this movie was going to live up to the hype. and I absolutely loved it yeah i like that you mentioned the word uh disgusting sam because i think it's it's funny we talked about this a little bit when we talked about uh perfect blue an anime film that you brought for the pod and uh i'm glad that you know we're two for two now on i mean i i mentioned much earlier in this podcast that that anime wasn't necessarily my thing but uh i found it i found two fantastic anime films thanks to both of you guys and one thing that i i think is really really cool and I think we're, this is actually going to be a theme probably of the episode, just knowing what we're going to talk about when we get into Evil Dead 2, but there's some animation um, and, and practical effects, like the, I don't know, just the, these different ways to depict gore and violence are so fucking cool, man. Like they're just like, they have like this visceral, so cool. this visceral sort of impact that again, I think we'll get into in, in a live action sense with Evil Dead 2, but if we're keeping it to animation with Akira, like all of the blood, all the violence in this movie, you just like, I don't know, it has a different effect on you than any other <clears throat> sorry it has a different effect on you than any other sort of depiction of that kind of violence would, and I, and I can't even quite put my finger on it, but um, it made it so visceral so fun, and then Sam, yeah, you hit also on the world building. I texted Dane after I watched this, and I said, dude, I don't know how they didn't make Akira into like a thousand different sequels and spinoffs and 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 set a TV series and a comic book series here. I mean, like, I'm glad they didn't because I think it's a it, the movie stands that much more on its own for that reason. But this universe that it establishes and the way it expresses, I think, a lot of like Japanese anxieties at the time too of like nuclear power and military presence and things like that. This world is just so well thought out and 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 invite. Uh, I I was ready to 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 you know to live in it forever and find countless more stories in it um and i was like i I was genuinely shocked that they hadn't done that because that would easily be the instinct now if this movie came out nowadays would be to keep adapting it keep building it keep growing it but it's that much more impressive of a world because akira stands on its own as as a singular film like there's nothing that tells you late 88 about this movie at all and i think we've talked we've talked a lot about how specifically animated movies need to for some they need to show why they were animated i was watching this movie and i thought many times this movie would absolutely suck if it wasn't animated like it would especially in late 88 like it just they wouldn't have been able to build build the world the action sequences would never be as cool as this like this movie shows you just how strong the animated form is and is really one of the best animated movies I think ever made. That's um, interesting. Isn't it? That. Am I wrong in saying, I think this is still in the works, correct? A live adaptation of Akira directed by Taika Waititi. Yes. Yeah, true? you're, you're, you're correct. That's that his, it's, it's his next movie after Thor, Love and Thunder. So that'll be, and I mean, just as a, as that, a sort of 
reference to what Sam just said, I'm curious to see hear, hear people's thoughts on that adaptation. Yeah, and and that's uh that's very much kind of like my thought process too is that this movie benefits so much from being an animated movie. Um, I mean, talking about the live action movie, I if I'm gonna trust any director to take it on, Taika Waititi is an excellent choice. Uh, in terms of just the colors and and being able to pull something off like that. And yeah, like watching this movie, your your jaw is dropped pretty much the entire time. Uh, for me, like a moment that sticks out in my mind where watching it alone, I gasped, was whenever Tatsuo, after getting beat up, he falls over and catches himself on the ground. And when he does it, his guts fall out. And that moment is so visceral and organic and it just makes you like have so a physical gross. response. That was it was so disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so I've... the way that they use animation to kind of trick your perspective on certain things and just play with what you're seeing and honestly what you're believing uh is is pretty damn incredible and that's you guys started talking about animation and i was just gonna ask like uh like what are your thoughts on how the film utilizes animation and i mean sam talked about it samir you touched on it Corey, what did you what did you think about that yeah i mean one of the things you you, i mean i I agree with you that taiko atiti is a director i can imagine adapting it live because of and you said the exact word the colors and that that's to me that what stuck to me uh stuck out to me the most about the colors if we're sort of talking about it in conjunction with the world building, which again to me was what was so strong about this this film, is that the colors just pop so much and it, and it gave the world a really fresh kind of feel. I agree with you that it was technically probably inspired to, to some extent by Blade Runner and just a kind of other cyberpunk, uh, you know, films or books or, or sto- just general stories. Or the game. Yeah, that's probably the game. Probably yeah, mostly the th- game. Thirty-five years later, it was yeah, super inspired. That's actually a pretty good point. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I do think that this was even better than any other imagining of a cyberpunk world because it was just much more colorful. There's like there's this sense always that in order to tell serious gritty stories, the colors have to reflect it. But this is a mute. this is a pretty dark fucking story and a very and it's mm-hmm. a pretty you know serious dramatic story. It's not really um, interested in like camp or anything. I mean, it's telling a very politically charged, uh, complex story. At least I feel, and it does it very vibrantly and colorfully and beautifully and that to me is something that only really come across through the animation i think there are ways that someone take a could bring that to live uh bring that to life uh in live action but um i'm i'm very very happy that, that we got to experience this in animation because i do i can't imagine an adaptation truly being better i mean i mean that, that just that yeah next to impossible yeah, I think uh, I, I, a great point about the colorfulness of this movie, while it's still being bleak, <laughs> is, I mean, we've touched on it already, but the final like forty minutes of this movie are awe-inspiring. And I always thought, I think the the biggest, like my biggest gripe with this movie are, are the characters are a little underwritten at times, and especially I thought throughout the movie, I was like Tetsuo is such a boring character. Like he's just like be, destroying everything. Who? Who gives a shit? But for them to go into, like, his life story mixed with the final battle Mm -hmm. in this really cool, like, anime, anime, like, 
sequence was like i i was jaw literally dropped i was like this is so fucking cool like yeah i can't believe they're doing it this way i thought they had just totally written him off as like you know just a, a typical antagonist who felt bad about his life so he destroyed everything but it was so visceral and cool i just like can't speak highly enough about how i thought the final 40 minutes of this movie are just a masterpiece you yeah. wait, so i want that oh go ahead dan go ahead oh, i was just gonna say like uh and that's again like i love i'm just gonna say i love everything about this movie and one of the things in particular that i find so fascinating is that the movie never gives like uh a dump of information there's no explaining really to the viewer that this is what you need to know to understand this movie there's no very good there's no um like exposition dump on the viewer the entire time you watch the movie you are getting tiny little trinkets of things that play into what akira is and who these characters are and like Sam talked about, I think that's why the finale of this movie is just, I'm getting chills just talking about it, <laughs> is so awesome, is because there's so much build up, the detail, the detail, the story, the twists, the turns, everything about it is slowly revealed to you, and it's revealed in a climax that is just unbelievable. Uh, what were you going to say, Corey? Now, I, I think that's a really good point because that is something that's also exceedingly rare in these kinds of movies where you trust the audience to sort of just stick with you um, and, and accept the little crumbs as they go uh, and then and then let it pay off with, with a finale like that, that that does bring everything together. I was just going to say, and this is uh, just I, just I thought it was funny that we had brought this movie up, I think in our group chat a few weeks ago, because uh, you brought up hidden footage movies. And then I referenced the movie Chronicle. Do you guys remember, you guys remember that movie? Mm-hmm. I, Yo, I was about to talk how similar Chronicle is. Yeah, it's actually, I actually am a little, I'm almost bummed in a way because I always thought Chronicle was a really cool fucking movie and like a pretty cool take on the hidden footage genre. And I thought it had a really unique sort of spin on superhero movies and all that. And I was really bummed to find out that uh, Chronicle is just a total ripoff of Akira. Like there's, <laughs> like there's really nothing innovative about Chronicle whatsoever. Once you've seen Akira, it's a, a total carbon copy of uh, Akira, and I, I'd have to rewatch it. Maybe it does stand on its own to some extent, but I, that was a, a very formative movie for me when I was younger. Thinking it was kind of a hidden gem, a really cool little film, uh, and it was a, it's a total Akira ripoff. I was just wondering if I, I guess yeah. Sam, you said you also picked up on that. Have you seen it too, Dan? Yeah, legit. Yeah, yeah. The interesting part about the manga adaptation too is the finale of this movie is about the sixty-five percent mark of the manga. About 35% of the rest of the, the manga is about the falling action of this final battle and how they come to terms with Tokyo being destroyed again. So it's, it's interesting that the, that the movie, knowing that it couldn't be as long, decides to end it at this big final battle rather than discussing essentially the, the falling action of the, of the manga. Yeah, that's... Um, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I wanted to talk about was kind of just the ending of this movie in general. Like we talked about the final battle and how incredible that is, but like I personally really like the ending 
And I want to get your guys' interpretation, thoughts on the ending, and just overall what you thought of it. Because I thought, I mean, you bring up the manga and how it continues afterward. And I, for how long this movie is, it feels short. It's entertaining the entire time. And they, in my opinion, ended it just about as perfectly as they possibly could have. Um, So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how they ended it and what you thought about the ending. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I loved it again, putting it in, in the conversation with some of some else, what we've talked about. Uh, I got to imagine that soul's depiction of the great beyond, like that animation was at least somewhat inspired by some of what this movie is doing at the end. Maybe that's a stretch, but I maybe it made it's only cause I watched them <laughs> close to one to another. That soul's derivative. Well, <laughs> oh well, well, Soul's very derivative. I, I don't need to cite cite a cure to prove oh that. Oh my god! Okay, but uh, anyway, it's very anyway. similar to World of Tomorrow. World of Tomorrow by Dan Harvissell oh, or whatever. Don Hertzfeld. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Soul's very derivative of that. If that's what you're talking about. Well, no, I'm also talking about. <laughs> oh my god, you're so annoying. I'm talking about Sam, how Sam went right I into can, that one. Yeah. It, it went right over his head for a oh little bit. God. But yeah, I agree We're that the ending of the cure has similar animation style. Direction. Yeah, I believe that Hertzfeld was influenced by. I, 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 I'll, I'll hold off on this. The soul. Oh my slander. god. Continue. Anyway, a cure ending. Um, yeah, like, dude, one of those endings that just really sort of. Um, like again, I, the word I keep wanting to use for this movie is visceral. Like, like the that that ending is it's very different from what comes before it in terms of it feels a lot more like metaphysical and maybe even like a little softer. But you can't help but feel so viscerally impacted by it. Like, and it, it's it, it's and it's important too because while I did really enjoy the movie, there was this sense for me the whole time, and I, this this might be a product of what you're, what you mentioned, Dane, with how um, there's not a lot of exposition. There there was this sense for me watching this movie that it was kind of committing like a high wire act, right? Like it was walking on a tightrope mm-hmm. and it really, really had to stick the landing in order yeah. for me to feel like my investment in these characters lives and in this entire world was really worth it. And boy does it. I mean, like it literally fucking transforms the very nature of everything you just watched and everything that, that, that would come after it. Like it, it's that kind of ending that, um, ensures this movie sticks in your head for a long long time i don't know I, i'm scared to get too much into the details because I, I guess it's the movie's fucking 32 years old we can yeah. get into spoiler territory but. well that i that's the thing like you this movie ends and it's one of those endings where it's ambiguous and uh i won't go in it into it too much but akira obviously plays a, a big role into it and initial reaction it really is nice for bookending the movie i mean the movie starts off with an explosion ends with an explosion and you have your initial thought of oh this is what happened but the more you think about it and the more you think about the detail in the movie and when the characters are talking about akira and the initial explosion and what happened you can start to think about more explanations to the ending and that is something that i i again love and why samir you said like rewatches yeah i was gonna say are, rewatches are amazing for this movie because you bet, pick up yeah. on so much stuff um so uh I, I recommend rewatching it again at some point for you guys because Definitely you pick well. up on so many so many little things yeah i, I mean dane I mean, it's the Dane episode, and we just have to say Dane fucking killed it with the picks. Like, yeah, this, this of all, I think 
I mean, this is arguably the best of the three, but this movie is just a, a masterpiece. Just yeah, I don't want to. Okay. I don't want to like spoil where my, my my full rankings, but I do think it's safe to say this is definitely the one that has lingered with me the most, uh, and that I, I, I kind of stewed over in my brain a lot out of the three. Um, I know we've been talking about Akira a lot. I am absolutely floored that you guys all love this movie because I love it to no end. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask about, which Corey, you brought it up a little bit, uh, talking about Chronicle, was about just how influential this movie is. I for me like whenever I was watching it uh from th- anywhere from the the drift that uh uh Canada does on the bike in the beginning, obviously coming straight from the matrix and the fact that these children are test subjects and stuff like that is something that stranger things essentially just yeah. Com- completely uses as its entire driving force of its plot. So, uh, in terms of like influence, like could you guys see or pick up on anything else that you really made a connection with in terms of like more modern films? Yeah, well, again, like, I mean, I, I brought up brought up Chronicle, and I, and I I like was like like you, Dana, thinking okay, what superhero movies were around or popular by 1988? And it, it is kind of interesting that uh, the superhero genre hadn't really taken off outside of, you know, you mentioned a few a few Superman films in, in the 70s. Because this this movie is is a fascinating dialogue of, between, you know, superhero films. It's essentially like, and this is why I loved Chronicles so much at the time, it's essentially like a deconstruction of the notion of a superhero and, and someone who, who gets uh, superpowers uh, and so it's really interesting to think that this movie was made independent of that and was instead more of an expression, again, of sort of like Japanese anxieties at the time. Um, but as far as movies that it ended up influencing later, uh, I, I agree that about, about the Matrix thing. It, 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 uh, it not just in terms of like, I agree about that, that bike drifting scene, but uh, I think world building is another th- thing where uh, the Matrix would not have been able to build as compelling of a world as it did if it weren't for... Akira and um, all of those sort of slow motion um, computerized effects that we give the Wachowski sisters so much credit for, they must be fucking obsessed with Akira, seriously, because there's no way they arrived at any of the, the, the whole bullet time ideas or anything mm-hmm. like that without having watched some of the battle sequences in uh, in Akira. So, I mean, yeah, you, you, you hit on my biggest ones right there, but uh, again, I, I really, my homework for this week, now since I finally won up homework from the three of you, is uh, to rewatch Chronicle because I just I really want to find out if that movie is any good independent of Akira. I, I was blown <laughs> away by how much that movie was just like an Akira ripoff. I'm I'm still reeling from it. Yeah, well, we should say for influences, this is Kanye West's favorite movie. Yeah, and 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 I and I, I knew, and I knew that, and it, I got to admit, stronger. You can totally yeah, you could totally see. I guess that's so fucking like goofy to say, but you could totally see it. You know what I mean? Like it really makes a lot of sense. And he he was definitely he was definitely <laughs> someone who watched this movie and thought Tetsuo was the good guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. Kanye West stronger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys, like I said, I'm I'm so glad that you guys like this movie because after watching it, I thought there's no way anyone could dislike this movie. Yeah, uh, there's there's so much to like about it. And uh, yeah, knowing you all, I 
I definitely thought you guys would all all enjoy this. Um, Wait, I, do I love say, it. As, as we move on to our next one, because uh, you just reminded me of a, of a point I wanted to make early on in this episode is I, I'm curious to see between you, the three of us, Sam and Samir, uh, if there was like, because I, I genuinely loved this movie. Um, but I, I was also wondering, I was like, do you think there's a sense amongst the three of us that it's Dane picking the movies? And I feel like it's like it oh, is. We can't, we can't like, hurt his feelings. Yeah, like Dane, you just you, <laughs> you don't want to let Dane down. Like, like I, I'm, I relish we the opportunity. I relish the opportunity to to hate a movie that Sam or even Samir recommends to me. But like, <laughs> like Dane, I, I just never want to let the guy down. You know what I mean? So I, 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 know. I don't know about Dane, you guys, but I, 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 I felt that push and pull watching these in general. We we uh, haven't talked enough about how truly amazing dane <laughs> i think i Guys, think i'm blushing i know we just he's just so wonderful oh yeah 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 i want to make it clear that that dane I, I genuinely like all my opinions tonight will be genuine but this was a thought that went through my mind at one point <laughs> oh so who did we think who did we think this one was for Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I just said. I hate you, Smear. That's what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. I mean, like, this is one of those movies where this is the one that I wanted you guys all to like, hands down. Um, yeah. And in the end, whenever I was thinking about it, uh, I ultimately thought, is there a way I can get Sam to like? Or do you guys want to guess who it's for first? <laughs> I guess I kind of just said it, so never mind. I was going to say, is there a way I can get Sam to like Dang, some... Dang, stupid bitch. I am dumb. Uh, okay, let's can I guess. Get, yes. Is there the a way record, I can get Sam to like... For the like record, that was going to be my guess. A superhero type movie. For the record, I thought this was for me as well. But <laughs> I'll say, I thought this was between me or Samir. I, I thought, I didn't think this was for Corey... I thought I thought this one was most likely for me because the the motivations the ending motivations so good and the final sequence is just so fun and yeah. I also probably like anime the most out of us for besides Dane yeah so. and that's that's definitely where my thought process came from I was like like I said I was like is there a way I could get Sam to like some sort of superhero movie. And yeah. in my opinion, at the base of this, it essentially is a superhero movie. I would and agree. I would agree. We get into it, and the story really develops. And Sam, I know you're a big fan of your characters. And I was a little bit worried at first because the characters aren't super well developed in the beginning. But as the story yeah. progresses, especially in that final battle, they're really brought out. And obviously, I it's anime. I watched Perfect Blue. And I was like, I, I gotta pick this for Sam. So yes, this one was for Sam. This movie of all, maybe all the movies we've recommended, I think this one could have been easily, it's like Perfect Blue. It could have been for all three for of anybody, us. For anybody, yeah. Um, which is one of the beauties of a good anime is that really anyone can like it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Dane, you're spot on with this. This is, this movie was, uh, by the end of it, was right up my alley. And um yeah, I think honestly, maybe the best superhero movie I've ever watched. So uh, I'm big fan. I'm floored. I, I I love that. All right, guys. Anyone else? Anyone else have anything to say? Let's do it. Well, I'm uh, a few white claws in. I'm getting a little <laughs> bit rosy. I'm getting a little bit warm on the inside, guys. Let's go, um, Dane. You deserve <laughs> it. But we are gonna go ahead. <laughs> I am 21, by the way. 
uh, in case any future employers are watching this. Um, Oh, I just farted. Congrats, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait to ruin everything. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I, I laughed and it slipped out. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, moving right along. Um, the next movie we are going to talk about is mystic river, uh, which is based on a novel and directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, this movie also, uh, got Oscars for both Tim Robbins and Sean Penn for their performances, performances in this movie. And, uh, anytime I like look up this movie, the thing I see about it is how acclaimed it is for its performances. And, Ultimately, whenever I was, I had watched this movie for the first time a few years ago, I kind of forgot about it. And I was trying to think of something you guys all hadn't seen. uh, And this came to mind and I went back and rewatched it and I enjoyed it just as much as I did the first time. And it's something that I I find really interesting is one of my favorite genres is like your mystery, crime, thriller-esque type things. and in your more poor suspense thriller movies, they typically don't focus on your characters. And I personally think Mystic River does a great job at exploring the uh, the main characters in this film and just how they kind of deal with this trauma that they all experienced as a kid and ultimately deal with this murder um, af- after one of the main characters' daughter is is murdered so uh again like that's where it comes from for me i think the tone is very haunting and uh just gray throughout the entire thing and the performances were all great in my opinion so i would like to get your guys's thoughts on mr mystic river there we go (laughs) you did it i mean who would ever think that the four people that had seen mystic river it would have only been days (laughs) Like this movie <laughs> is this movie's depressing as shit. Yeah. Um I I think Mystic River is good. I don't think I don't think it's um uh, necessarily great. I don't think it's necessarily bad. It is very much you can just watch a drama like this and know that it's a big budget drama mm-hmm. by how the story is told. Like told, held. Yeah. Um because like you know, so many other directors with like you know how the traumatic event that starts the film they would have peppered that in throughout it and it would have been revealed as time goes on like what this event meant to everyone but clint eastwood just goes okay there was this event and now we get into the drama and i think that's really where i thought the movie could have been great and it's only good because it kind of is just a little too formulaic with how it tells the story I do agree that Tim Robbins specifically is really, really good in this movie. At times, Sean Penn, I think, overacts a little bit. It's a little heavy-nosed. And I and I think there could have been some scenes edited down. Specifically, that um, final parade scene is so dumb. Like, that did not need to be in the movie. That's my opinion. I did not like that scene at all. I wish it hadn't been in. Um... But overall, I think this is a very good drama, well acted, um, and I mean, nothing egregiously done poorly, but I don't think it takes the risks uh, you would see from like a, a smaller budget drama film. 
that that's just, I mean, first of all, I want to thank you, Dan, for allowing me to be. You know, I got the soul stuff out of the way, so I'm going to be fairly positive the rest of, of the episode. I'll just say that right now. I, I really nice. liked this movie. Uh, I do have one major gripe with it that, I, that we can get into in a little bit, but uh, I, I really liked it. I, I feel a little more strongly about it, I think, than, than Sam did. Um, and I sort of disagree with some of the points you made, Sam. Like, I think I like the idea of establishing the boy's childhood and then allowing that to just sort of color the rest of the film. It's not a mystery in any way. Like that is just a, a like a trauma that characterizes one, if not all, all three of our our major our main characters, um, and then uh, therefore informs the rest of the film. I I thought that was uh, really well done, and I was I'm also really glad Dan that you brought us a, a Clint Eastwood film because I think Clint Eastwood is a important director to talk about because I th- I mean I would probably be the first out of the four of us to say I I don't even necessarily really like Clint Eastwood. Uh, certainly don't like him as a as a as a uh, person or a, a political mind. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I I think it's easy to forget that he actually is a very good director. I know I forget it a lot of the time. And what I what I really like about his directing style is that it's so economical. I mean, this movie is is over two hours, and yet there's not a second wasted. It's it, every moment to me. Like I mean, Sam mentioned that he thought the praise was unnecessary, but even I disagree. I feel. Every moment in a Clint Eastwood film feels earned and feels worthwhile, um, and every shot feels like it's it's uh, doing um, exactly what it needs to do. For that reason, you can call his style kind of like bare bones and a little simplistic, like nothing flashy or special ever happens. But I actually yeah. think that can be really effective for the kind of stories he's trying to tell. And then what I, and then what I love most about it, and what I love most about Mystic River, is how restrained like it is. I mean. This movie could have been very um, high flying, exciting action, you know, you know, just kind of crazy all, all over. But it's really at its core just a movie about like masculinity and the way that that we hold in our our emotions um, and the way that that men do or do not support one another and how that impacts their wives and the other women around them. Um, at least that's that's kind of was my read on it and. The, the directing style reflects that. It's very restrained. It's very reined in. It's it's not very um, emotional. At, at times, it does kind of get into what um what Samir kind of refers to like as like that two thousandsness, where like I feel like it does feel yeah. a little um like I I maybe maybe yeah it feels a little dated and sort of like gets into like some more sappiness or or whatnot. But for the most part, I f- I really love Eastwood's like restrained, subdued style. Even the color palette is kind of muted on this movie that I really like, and I thought that reflected really well uh, on the, throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, again, I, I my issue comes with the ending, but I'll let we'll get everybody get their initial thoughts in, and we can dwell on the ending a little bit more. I there's a good there's a good example of that in the um, the hospital scene when he goes. Maybe you wish I had gotten in the car. It's like these two guys probably know that. Like that like maybe they could insinuate that in some way, being like, Well, you didn't live as hard a life of me or something like that. But it's it's just a little too on the nose where I'm like, I don't think people like would speak like this. And it kind of throws throws you off a little bit. I agree, I, I, Samir. I was a little I agree with this. That. I actually agree with with both what you guys are saying about about the writing. I, I think it's worth Noting that this is based off a book, and to me that felt very 
based off a of book it like that i'm almost certain that those were lines yeah. in the book and those would be very good lines of dialogue in a novel whereas they're awful lines of dialogue in a movie there's i i feel like when when directors were adapting books in the early 2000s and even just like any decade prior to this one they always kept those kinds of lines and included those kinds of lines now there seems to be a a, a more of a move to like if you're adapting a book you shouldn't even want to let your viewers know that this used to be a book Whereas it kind of used to be yeah. more of like a, oh look, we're adapting this book, like we're gonna we're gonna kind of like bridge the gap between the two, and uh, and that's I, I think sort of where the disconnect comes in. It, it, that's sort of why to me it does feel a little dated as a 2003 film, but also why I'm willing to extend a little bit of understanding to what uh, the writers were going for with this one. As to your point about the literal length it takes up in the screenplay, that just feels very like save the cat kind of you know like you should have this te- percentage of your uh screenplay do this and this percentage do that like i i personally i think it does get the point across i agree also however that the the fades uh to black in between the the moments in the beginning are very strange and sort of uh unnecessary but i don't think the literal length of the the opening sequence is any issue i still think it actually informs everything that happens afterwards very beautifully uh, and and very effectively, and there's already enough twists and turns and reveals in this movie that slowly twisting and turning and revealing things as it relates to the beginning would have just been a little too convoluted. Yeah, I think with the uh, the beginning of the movie, I actually really like the beginning because it it really sets the tone up uh, pretty well in terms yeah. of what the movie is going to be and what the internal conflict of all the characters is now you i i do agree with what you guys are saying like i definitely don't think mystic river is a perfect movie uh by any means i think there is a decent amount (coughs) not a decent amount but there there are some things that i i don't necessarily enjoy about the movie uh some things i do find kind of predictable um in that in just overall like how the story unfolds it, it really falls into like your your classic uh thriller tropes um or crime tropes uh something i did you guys had talked about was the ending because the ending is something that myself i don't necessarily even know how i feel about the ending because i i personally think the ending it's just uh let me step back that whole parade thing after first viewing i didn't think it needed to be in there and then i had looked up read into the book and kind of read about what that scene means in the book and ultimately it boils down to like oh kevin bacon's character didn't have enough evidence to pin sean penn's character down for killing tim robbins character um spoiler for this old movie but um <laughs> overall like i i Do you can think see someone is like that... listening right now and they're like god fucking damn it Dave. <laughs> yeah it, yeah <laughs> 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 the river spoiled for me fuck <laughs> it's like son of a bitch yeah god uh, damn it <laughs> okay. yeah so we'll just splice that like, in at the it, beginning just to spoil it for anyone <laughs> <laughs> spoiler warning um yeah i mean so so the ending to me like i wasn't over the moon about it i wasn't like completely disappointed by it because 
I do think there are a few different ways to look at the ending, but ultimately, whenever I come back to it, I do kind of think the ending was uh, unnecessary and could have been cut. So you guys had touched on it, but like, what are your your thoughts of the inclusion of this, uh, Corey? Yeah, so like I, I actually did. So like I didn't mind the parade scene at all. I thought, uh, I thought it, it fit in pretty well, and I liked see, getting to see a little bit of closure between the different characters. I did think that Kevin Bacon's sort of love interest subplot was really Wait, that was, uh, not, it was not definitely the most poor. I, I get the sense that, that was I don't know again I could be wrong, but I get the that sense felt like a book thing. They felt like a book thing that was done much more yeah. justice in the book, and they just kind of you know shoehorned in there in the movie uh, and it didn't really come together even in that final scene that's a small thing i'm more concerned with the the resolution of the murder investigation that's where i felt the movie was really dissatisfying personally uh, i think you know having tim robbins character acting as a red herring is really smart really effective yeah, i think having yeah. having ray, ray jr and his friend being the actual killer is also really cool really effective but here's where i'm a little like I don't know, it just feels a little incomplete to me, is these two kids... So so the whole th- actual truth is just that these kids were just playing around with a gun and accidentally killed a girl that ended up being really important to one of their brothers and, and like really crucial to a lot of figureheads in the town. It's just very um, circumstantial and, and uh, it's a nice little coincidence and it doesn't really have any sort of like thematic or even narrative underpinning in the movie. What My initial interpretation of what happened... Um, which turned out to be wrong. I thought what happened, honestly, was that Tim Robbins, right? I thought his character, Dave, stopped and killed uh, a child molester, which we know is true, and that the, the the young child that was being abused was one of the two boys. That's what I thought was happening. And that boy, oh. I, I thought that it was it was uh, Ray Jr.'s friend who had borrowed the gun from, his, from Ray Jr. To, and had brought it to try to and kill his abuser that night. When that didn't happen and he ran away, he, I thought he had he had ran, he had seen Fiona, uh, I, I call her Fiona because that's where she's in Shameless, but I forget her actual name, Emmy Rossum's character. When he yeah. when he sees her car, he gets scared and shoots and kills her. So I thought that all the events were sort of connected in that way. And I was like, that would have been cool. And at first yeah, I was like, yeah, oh shit. I, that, that. I was like, shit, that's really fucking cool. Like I thought that was a really cool interpretation. And then when Kevin Bacon is just like, yeah, so it turns out that these kids were just playing with the gun. Oh, by the way, they also had a hockey stick and used that to beat her up as well. It was just like, oh, so like yeah, none of like- it actually connected or or mattered in any way. It, it, the stake went from all the way up uh, at a hundred to like five really quickly, and it just didn't really. Mm-hmm. It, I was I was didn't disappointed pay off. with the Wait, reveal guys. Real well. quick, I'm about to burst, so I'm gonna go pee real quick. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk for that either. All right, <laughs> let us know how it goes. Yeah. I, I agree, Corey. I was I was disappointed that it was the two the two kids, not because it was those two characters, but by how they told the story. It right, like the, as a character, it was really cool, but then it ended up not mattering. It, 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 this entire movie, like I think, like Eastwood does a very meticulous effort to to be like A leads to B, B leads to C, and there's a very much like. Uh, a causation in everything it, it's very it's very butterfly effect kind of like how the start of magnolia is yeah um to how he he drafts this thing but then but then the reveal is that it is just a horrific circumstantial killing that um 
Yeah, it's just it's just like oh, I and I mean I, I maybe that's the point is that and it's just Kevin Bacon and it's Kevin Bacon's way of saying it, just being like, "Yep, that's how it is." It's not like a oh my god, this horrible accident causes this entire thing. It's just like, <laughs> "Oops, right? <laughs> okay, let's go to a parade." <laughs> I like yeah. The once the only thing that is funny is when he first finds out that it's his daughter's body and his dream is like. I almost feel like is I might have I might have heard it before. I like I feel like that I green. I, I feel like that I, scream has become a meme good. in some in some. I don't know because he goes like he just sounds absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It was so over the top, and I just like it. Yeah, and then he like fights through like twelve people. It's like okay, guys. Let's but I will say, as like a chilling you know very serious crime lord like who we kind of you know the the version of his character we get by the end of the film i think his performance is pretty freaking incredible yeah it's really good it's really good i think the reason that this debate is interesting is because um it's really it all comes back to me at least to me it sounds like it all comes back to what we thought of the first scene i it sounds like dane yeah. and i felt that the first scene informed the rest of the movie enough that I, even in the moment you were talking about now, Samir, I understood it, right? Like, I understood that they both kind of silently looked at each other and acknowledged this this background that they have together, what their childhoods were like, and, and, and how this has all led the, each of them to where they are now. Uh, but you and Sam, sounds like, didn't necessarily buy into that scene uh, doing the, that necessary legwork. If you let that scene do the legwork, I think you'll enjoy the rest of the movie. If you don't, you won't. And I, I mean, I, I, I can see both sides. But it, it's yeah, it's just interesting just how crucial that scene is to to the film. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, like it's it, by no means a perfect movie, but uh, one of the scenes or moments in particular that I uh, thought was really well done was the ultimate build up to like the re- um revelation that Tim Robbins' character was not the murderer, and it was edited back and forth between uh, the police finding out that um, the two boys had committed the murder with Tim Robbins and Sean Penn having this final moment right before Sean Penn kills Tim Robbins. Um, I thought that was very effective and definitely uh, as it should was the most like guttural reaction I had to this movie was you're seeing this like false narrative play out in Sean Penn's mind where he is just so dead set on finding his daughter's murderer that ultimately his emotions cloud his judgment um to him essentially throwing any evidence or aside and not letting the police or the investigation take hold and him using his crime boss uh position to uh take out tim robbins character but i i really liked the editing back and forth between the two scenes it it really built up like oh my god he didn't do it oh my god is he actually gonna die oh my god he's dead um to me i think that is probably the most well done scene in the movie um and just the back and forth between the uh the crime being solved and the murder of Tim Robbins. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely, I think that th- th- those moments there where you, you question all the characters and how like morally gray they are is why I do enjoy the movie. Uh, but again, like Sam and Samir and Corey, like you're, you're 
gripes with the movie, I completely understand. And like, I, I definitely knew that this was probably going to be the most um, divisive movie in terms of just discussion in of how we felt about it and uh, overall just, yeah, like our, our emotions toward the movie. Um, yeah, I, I agree. That, yeah, the, last, the last thing I'll say is that I agree that the cross-cutting in that scene was really effective. And it almost made me want more of it throughout. Like, um, I was thinking about if, I mean... I, I again, I think I differ from Samir in that I actually liked a lot of Eastwood's direction, but I was kind of imagining what a different director would have done with this. And for example, I thought of like a Robert Altman who makes a lot of movies about multiple perspectives, and um, he would have certainly set up a lot of like like triptych scenes. I think where we were following all three characters simultaneously. This film doesn't really do that. It kind of um, yeah, it keeps the action very linear and very separate. And it does, I think, lead to some awkward scene transitions sometimes. Uh, but again, it's nothing that I, I don't feel is just easily explained by saying this movie came out in 2003. It just it feels so of its time. Um, but even even so, that's not a, a fully an excuse. Uh, it, it, it could have stood for a little more, uh, you know, flow and just and maybe innovation at times. But again, I, it sounds to me like I, I enjoyed it the most out of the three of us. I, I still was a, was, a, was a big fan of it. Much more than I have been of other Clint with films. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so who do we think this movie was for? I can start first. I actually <laughs> think this movie was for Corey. Not because Corey liked it the most. I thought that Corey um, would kind of like the restrained nature of this film, which is what he talked about. Is more He's more of um, it's not derivative. Let's say that <laughs> it's, it resembles Soul in no way. Um, it's always good. <laughs> but but uh, I, I I thought that Corey would like the restrained nature of it. Um, I think it's well acted. Um, yeah, I think I, I think this movie could have been for both Corey or Samir or even me. I thought this movie could have possibly been for me as well, actually. But I think this movie was more likely for Corey than anyone else. Interesting, because I thought it was for Samir, which is uh, is is interesting because Samir seems to like it the least, um, and I knew that would be a possibility just because Samir is Samir. But um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I keep referencing it, and I I don't mean I mean Samir always talks about how much he loves films from this from the two thousands from that in that time span. Uh, and never mind, this movie was for Samir, and I thought that Dane was sort of playing off of that and found a movie that really evokes a lot of that two thousands feeling. While I mean clearly offering fleshed out characters i mean you know you can say what you want about the movie but its characters are very well defined you know who each of them are and who they're what their sort of personality traits are so i thought it really aligned with uh, a lot of what samir looks for in in that sense i I, it's funny now because a lot of what i didn't like about it is maybe that 2000-ness and a lot of even what samir didn't like about it was maybe that 2000-ness. So maybe I'm just misunderstanding what Samir means all the time when he says 2000-ness. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I thought... Uh, he doesn't like the Clint Eastwood 2000-ness. Right, like yeah, else. exactly. Um, it's, it's 2000-ness you're right, when he right, likes Clint it, and it's not 2000-ness when he doesn't. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought it, it, was, it was very much for Samir for that, for that reason. But Yeah, it's for Samir. Nice. I agree. Well, so... Uh, Corey pretty much stole the words right out of my mouth. Um, the early 2000s and the fact that I personally, I thought that the characters were, were pretty well fleshed out. Um, maybe not the kids, but uh, 
them as adults. I did pick this movie for Samir for both of those reasons. And Samir shit on it. Because <laughs> he is a heartless, heartless human. Apologize to Dane right now. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. No apology needed. I liked mine. Why can't you like yours? <laughs> At least you guys all thought it was for Samir too. So that makes me feel better. At least we were all in the same mindset. Well, so, I mean, Corey had a very convincing and good argument. Samir's, I, Samir's classic I tend to do. Tomfoolery. I tend to have those. Oh my god, Corey, shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> but, with that said, let's go ahead and move on to my final film, which is Evil Dead 2, directed by Sam Raimi. Now, Evil Dead 2 is often regarded as a horror classic and I watched it for the first time over the pandemic and it again is one of those movies where I thought how have I not seen this I'm a huge horror fan I love practical effects and just very organic filmmaking and at its core I think Evil Dead 2 does all of that um, very much the practical effects are insane they're so well done um and that i the movie is also regarded as a horror comedy and i was scared during this movie i laughed out loud during this movie it it got me to do exactly what sam raimi wanted it to do and i commend it for that um growing up one of my all-time favorite shows that I watched with my dad was The Three Stooges. And after I watched this movie, it turns out Sam Raimi was also a big Three Stooges fan. And there are a ton of Three Stooges references throughout this movie. Interesting. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this movie is just one of those ones where all the creatures are practical effects. And I find practical effects practical gore all that good stuff so much more engaging so much more um realistic and and haunting uh than than cgi uh it gives this really uncanny valley effect to uh, a lot of the um deadites in the movie and and yeah i mean i i love this movie for the fact that it it really was one of the first horror comedies and, and what it did was starting the trend of uh, movies like Shaun of the Dead and Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods obviously is a direct reference yeah. to the Evil Dead franchise because both movies take place in a cabin in the woods. So uh, with all that, you, I know, look at me making these connections. <laughs> um, can I just say, I'm going to lay down the gauntlet. I like this movie more than anyone in this room. I fucking love this movie. I honestly might say this is my favorite horror movie ever. <laughs> I, I wow, I'm shocked absolute, that you liked it, Sam. I absolutely love this movie from the very start. I love this movie, so I will explain a couple of reasons why I think this movie is an absolute fucking masterpiece, and why Dane is by far the best of us four because he picked three great to gr- good to amazing movies, but. So, this movie is so similar in its horror scenes to Twin Peaks horror uh, horror scenes. It's 
Like the part where he's laughing with all the inanimate objects is very similar to every single horror scene that takes place in the Red Room in Twin Peaks. So I love it for that. This also came out two, three years before Twin Peaks. So I bet Lynch was very inspired by the way this was shown. Um, I just like this movie just gets right into it. There is absolutely no mm-hmm. like atmosphere building. I think atmosphere building is the most overrated part of horror movies. I never find it all that interesting. I just would love for it to get right into the meat immediately. This movie is literally from the second minute of the movie, a full blown horror movie immediately. I love the claymation. I think the claymation is so cool in this movie. I think it's it's like equal part kitschy, equal part terrifying, and just like a visual treat. I love this movie. I was <laughs> I literally couldn't believe how much I was loving it while I was watching. I thought I was just gonna be like, yeah, this movie's kind of fucking stupid. But yeah, as I, I was watching it, I well, literally was sitting there and I just fully bought into the entire thing. And real I quick, loved this movie, I thought. I th- and and Dane, after this, you absolutely won the horror draft. I cannot believe you didn't. <laughs> you absolutely won the horror draft. I, you, this movie is. I forgot so this was good. included and, on that in that draft. Yeah, yeah, dude. It, I I I just want to say that I am over the moon that I picked three movies, specifically two movies. Evil Dead was. I was not expecting Sam to like this. I did think you there. Were, there are some things in here that you enjoy, but not this much. Yeah. Um. I saw your your star rating on Letterboxd, and I was just like, "Holy shit! I can't believe this!" So yeah, dude, I, I give it a five. I think it. I think it is an absolute fucking masterpiece. Yeah. I, I think it's so good. Well, like that. I real quick before I get Corey and Samir's reactions, you talked about like the claymation. And just like the scares in this movie, um, in our group chat, I sent a video talking about how this movie plays with horror comedy, and we can talk about that too in a little bit. But the way that Raimi paces his scares with a scare, comedy, and then a scare again, I yeah. found so engaging, and that I at two at just basically every movie ever every scare in the movie, I was equally scared and laughing at the same time, which I found so just so different and original. And I, I, I will say like, I compare it to a movie like Shaun of the dead where this, the moments are, it's either a scary moment or a comedy moment. And evil dead two does such an amazing thing for me anyway, where it, so very well intertwines comedy and horror at the same time. Um, Samir, Corey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm still reeling from the fact that Sam enjoyed this movie a lot because I uh, I thought I was not expecting hate- this at all. Yeah, I thought he'd hate this movie for all the same reasons he hated. I might just be in a really good mood right now. You must know. you must be because um, I, I I I thought this had kind of the same. Uh, it's not similar, but it has the same energy as like a Bronson. I thought that you would hate it for all, oh. all for all those same reasons. Um, but I, I'm with you, Sam. Like I fucking love this movie. I, yeah. I, I don't honestly. I probably don't feel as strongly about it as you do because you seem to like really, really, really love it. Um, I was, I was just thinking going into this episode 
uh, like I was trying to give myself a refresher because I was like, guys, to be honest, I'm all smiles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you guys like. I this. can't wait for Samir to shit on this. <laughs> oh yeah, you you can see Samir's face. He's not you can gonna. See, you can see yeah. the fucking smile he's making. He's so I know. Annoying. But no, it, it, I'll admit this about about the Evil Dead about Evil Dead Two, which is why um, I certainly wouldn't give it five stars as much as I liked it. Um, is I honestly don't remember a single plot beat from this entire fucking movie. I only watched it like a little, like a little less than a week ago, but I don't remember anything that happens in it. But I don't give oh, a shit. Either. I don't, I don't give remember, a shit. I don't remember anything. Yeah. I don't give a shit that I don't remember because there are so many images in this movie that are going to be ingrained in my head for the rest of my fucking life. So many sequences that I had so much fucking fun. Um, I um, I love that this like I think the horror comedy is a really cool genre in general, just to see how the timing for a scare or a laugh can align. But like here, I mean, it's not even necessarily about timing. It's just you see these moments and you look at your screen and you're literally like. You're like you're just like in disbelief. You're like, oh my god, what the hell am I watching? How you know, did like they do that. Yeah, yeah like, what the I like when she starts dancing. Like the first part of her just dancing as a claymated, like naked dead body. I'm yeah, just like what the then, fuck am I watching? Yeah, and then that's what I'm talking about. Like it goes scary to funny, and then the the next scare is her hands come through the window. Right, and it's just yeah. like I I don't know how he was able to pull this off. Right. I mean, I think like for another example is is his his severed hands like mocking him is like so like Oh yeah, it, the flipping him off. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely hilarious. But then it also is pretty terrifying when it starts actually like fucking attacking him, you know what I mean? Like but it's it constantly uh juggling like the, the these these two things. Um I think it it definitely leans more towards comedy than than horror. Uh but it really doesn't care what your reaction is because mm-hmm. either way it's 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 visceral and it, and it, it really comes like comes from your stomach, you know, because it's like just so absurd yeah. uh, and and disgusting. Uh, and and like I sort of alluded to, when we started talking about uh, animation, Akira, but um, it is something that can only be done via via practical effects. Like there really wouldn't be um, this really would not have the same effect if you knew, um, like, like for example, like uh, the I guess it, it was it a dead. I mean, I remember so little about the story, honestly, that I'm, I'm probably gonna use the wrong term. But just like the creature at the <laughs> end, I, whose neck starts spiraling and growing. Oh yeah, like, oh so cool, so I, fucking I, cool, so fucking cool. The I'm um, pretty and, sure that's the the um the mom the mom in the, the basement. Okay, in the cellar. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, but like that that for some reason is probably my favorite image in the whole movie just because i was like that looks so fucking cool like it look it just looks cool and yeah. it like and i think that you know we now know that dane picked this for me that's i think why he picked it for me too is uh i feel like out of like i'm a, maybe a little more willing usually to just like let a movie be like really fucking cool and not worry as much about like you know the motivation and, and these different things um because i think it's a testament to sam raimi that he's able to create a movie where these images are just going to be ingrained in, in, in pop culture. They have been ingrained in pop culture um, and are ingrained in, in so many of our minds uh, after watching it. And and I, I'm willing to let the, the fact that I totally forgot the story go. I'm willing to let all that, like the fact that the story is pretty slight go. Um, yeah. Because it, it, it's fucking fun, man. Like you, you can't, uh, you can't do, have anything but, but fun watching this movie. And the last thing I'll take before Samir shits on it is um it, it made me think a little <laughs> bit about this debate we have, uh about like i don't know if we brought up on this podcast but you know there like it's a popular debate that's you know a scorsese once upon a time calling uh superhero films like you know like attractions and not necessarily yeah. uh cinema uh like you know you call them like roller coasters or whatever um 
the thing I always felt that was lost in that debate, because he, he makes some points, right? Like, I think we could talk about superhero movies. Yeah. That's a separate conversation. But the thing to me that gets lost in that debate is that, like, like attraction is an entire type of movie. Like, and yeah. Evil Dead 2 is an example. It is a roller coaster. It's not it really, like, I mean, it's not cinema insofar as Martin Scorsese seems to want to define it. But it's a it's a roller coaster of a fucking movie, and that makes it a great fucking movie. A cinema can be just a ride that you want you you want to get on and never get off. And, and it was exactly that. Real quick, what I'll compare that to is before Samir gives his opinion is <laughs> in this in actually it's in the I well real quick too. Did any of you, I, Sam? You watched the first Evil Dead, right? Yeah, so yeah, I didn't watch yeah. first, unfortunately. I, wa- I watched them back to so back. So the first one is, I, I will say... It's way more scary. It's way scarier it's, than the It's second. definitely more horror and more um, character-driven than the second one. Um, yeah. But the second one's just off the... Is, it's, it, it's, it's so crazy wacky. that it's, it's essentially... A, it's, I guess, a sequel, but it's mostly just a rehash of the first but just gone up to 11 mm-hmm. on like the ridiculous scale. Yeah. Like if you were to rewatch if you were to watch the first after watching the second before the first, you would think the first is boring, not really like doesn't really say all that much about anything. Like but because the, the second is just so like it just goes for it so hard. And and well that that's That's what I love about it most is he- it just like it's unabashedly itself and it takes so many risks which i just think should be commended completely because yeah. it you it's it was made in what 1987 or something like that mm-hmm. and there's absolutely not another movie i've ever seen that even remotely is gave me the experience that evil dead 2 gave yeah me. I'll, I'll compare it to in evil dead 2 there's a moment when the first person demon shot uh goes right towards uh Bruce Campbell's character and um it, it hits him in the chest and then he flies through the woods and he's like spinning that's what the entire movie felt like for me um yeah i mean just real quick this for this movie's budget was three and a half million dollars in 1987 which comes out to almost nine million dollars in current dollars like that is Unbelievable. I mean, that's not a that's not a huge budget, but that is certainly a lot of money to be giving to someone that has an entire forest attack a house, and then he gets launched into re- in medieval times and shoots a demon in the <laughs> face with a shotgun. Like that is dude. That, that is just it's just off. It's that, just completely off the wall. And, and that's exactly what I like about it. And like, that's like, and I, I appreciate any movie that knows what it is and is confident in what it is. Um, I'm usually willing to let it, it, it be that thing. And, and Evil Dead 2 is, is certainly that. Like it, Evil Dead it 2 is very confident in what it yeah, it's is. It's very confident. And it has to be, you know, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't take itself seriously um, at all. Um, but it also does in that it, it's really committed to, to make, to like making you buy in. And one thing I, I think that is worth spending a little bit of time on, um, that like that Sam mentioned at the beginning, is just the length of this movie, or or just like how how quick it is. I mean, in the beginning, it basically I I haven't seen the first, but I assume the beginning of this movie was basically just telling you what happened in the first, or or kind of at least how the 
the mm. book works like more or less like how the the first movie so logic yeah, works yeah so the first movie uh little recap is basically it's um five college students go to a cabin and they get haunted by this the ne- necronomicon which is not even named the book of the dead in the first movie um yeah. and then that's basically what the entire second movie is based off of uh so one thing that i i find so fascinating about this movie is just its production because e- when they were making evil dead 2 evil dead 1 was is owned by a completely different studio so essentially they made a movie that was inspired whatever by the original it, it, it's some it's very crazy behind the scenes stuff um and yeah like the movie is bonkers does not take itself seriously and uh something that i find so effective in the movie is sam raimi's direction um i had little experience with sam raimi other than this original spider-man trilogy and for you guys who've not seen, I think have, Sam, have you seen Spider Man Two? Have you guys any of you seen it? No. Oh yeah, so, I've only seen Spider Man One. So Spider Man, okay. So Spider Man Two and his trilogy, uh, of this of Spider Man, does something very similar to Evil Dead in the sense that it really beautifully intertwines comedy and another genre in Spider Man. It's action. There is a brief moment in spider-man 2 where doc ock is in a uh is in surgery and there are these crazy camera movements and all this stuff very much plays off like a horror scene and watching that that scene scared me so much as a kid and the camera movements in that are literally exactly what you see in evil dead um the first person kind of driving shots of the demons oh yeah those are probably the coolest in the movie yes and that's that's something that i wanted to ask you guys about is like raimi has such a distinct uh set of direction in this movie but just how the camera moves um all the visual gags it pulls off one of my favorite parts in the movie is whenever his girlfriend jumps at him and he brings the shovel up and cuts her head off and then it falls and down the, in his hands. Body, yeah, the body spars. Yes. Keep flying. So, like, yeah, so fun. what did you guys think about, like, the, the active camera and how he used the camera in this movie to really pull off a lot of these scary moments, but also, at the same time, visual gags? I mean, people think of horror movies as, like, normally, like, there's not... there's a There's a certain stillness to them. And, like, how it's, like, the disruption of the stillness is the scary part. This movie does scariness by literally something's always happening. Like, there's just a great motion to this movie. And that's that's what plays into why this movie is, A, so entertaining. And, B, why it feels so fast. Because even though this movie is only an hour and a half long, this movie to me felt like it was thirty minutes long. Yeah, actually, the, every, it it boils down to I'm pretty sure the runtime is an hour twenty, and the runtime of the first Evil Dead is an hour seventeen. So it it very much is fast paced the entire time. Yeah, yeah, it just keeps going, which is like so. It's just a treat to watch because there's no there's no wasted moments. It knows exactly what it wants to say at all times, 
and just keeps going for it. It's like, and and to Samir's point about like, it just kind of beats you down over and over and over again. It never gives you a moment to catch your breath because once you catch your breath, then like a person, then a claymated chick is dancing naked and she kills herself with a chainsaw and it. And also, just one one thing, one shot that I I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about is when he's getting pulled into the cellar, like the one hick, the one like, uh, hick is, and then it just like a sea of blood <laughs> just shoots yeah. out. Is one of like the most ridiculous and funny things I've ever seen. It, I was like cracking, I was cracking up the entire time that was happening. It's yeah, so funny. dude, it, that's a good point. Is that it? it uh, it's so sure of itself in such an unpretentious way. That you, yeah, you really like it, you'd kind of be an asshole to dislike it, you know what I mean? Just because, like, it, it it could certainly not be your thing, but you could never say this movie doesn't do what it's trying to do well, yeah. And it yeah. exactly, it really just it plays off like the the classic like action movie one liners of like Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. and Sylvester Stallone, like the moment when he's he gets the chainsaw on his arm and he's like ready to go the camera zooms in onto his face and he just goes groovy yeah so, oh yeah that was a good so movie. funny it was such an epic build up to such a solid laugh um well, it, yeah, it's, worth, it's worth noting too that um that bruce, that bruce campbell's performance is also very good like he like he's actually it's fantastic uh, right it's amazing it, like, he's a fantastic like the movie wouldn't be the actor. same yeah it wouldn't, wouldn't be the same without him and i was, what I was gonna say is because he's so physical he he plays that kind of action hero so well because he is so physical one of my favorite scenes too is when he gets like sent flying outside and the camera's following him kind of like the way it follows the, yeah, the spirit but over. there's like two like layers to the to the the shot like there's him and the background flipping him over and he's rotating and he's flying like crazy um it's it's one of the most fun scenes in the movie and it um and it's because it's a really cool visual trick that that Raimi's pulling off but it's also because like the amount of muscles that bruce campbell's moving in his face in that moment to scream and just look like terrified and confused and just absurd in all the right ways is so fucking crazy like it it, it really is a great performance and and it kind of expands like your your notion of what good acting is you know because it's, yeah. it's so corny and over the top and it's not it's certainly not like good the way i mean i mean for example we just called sean penn like overacting right i mean bruce campbell is overacting like he's like this whole fucking movie but of course yeah. he is like that's the whole fucking thing and it works so well, well i i feel like at some point even talking on here i compared bruce campbell's performance to like the jim carrey of horror like yeah it is yeah. it is so over the top and like you talked about the scene when all of the objects in the room are laughing at him and he's like bouncing up and down and then the camera turns and he's just like grimacing, like smiling so hard at the camera. And also the moment when with the hand, like you have to imagine like essentially Bruce Campbell is just pretending this hand is pulling him, pulling him all over the place and just throwing him all around the kitchen and he makes it so believable, entertaining, and just energetic that I'm his performance is just incredible the entire movie. Yeah. And I mean, I talk about how this movie really plays with like the horror comedy genre, ultimately like leaning more into the the comedy aspect. I mean, one of the scenes that is like you said, Corey, ingrained in my mind is when Ash steps on the um, cellar door 
steps on the girl's head, and the eyeball flies and goes into her yeah. mouth. I watched this movie with Sean so Jameson, gross. who was a friend of all of ours. We watched it for the first time together, and I was in <laughs> tears laughing so hard at that because it is just so unexpected, so funny. And not only is it funny, but it plays into the fact that she gets possessed later on in the movie. So it it, it really is just like Sam Raimi is just sitting in the back of the theater, just like, ha 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 like laughing at you and like twiddling his thumbs like he plays with you so much and i i love the movie for that and like the last thing that i want to say is like obviously you guys enjoyed it but how how do you think this movie like holds up like in term the fact that it's an 80s movie um i know for me like whenever i was watching it i was so engaged by the practical effects and what they were doing like how do you think it holds up to horror comedy horror in general today just made me wish more horror comedy films were like this like i think like i just wish i just like i think there's such like a fun kitschiness to it that like you just don't get with cgi anymore like part of the reason why practical effects are so cool is because you can really t like you have to believe that the it's real like it doesn't it, like it, your mind doesn't play any tricks on you like you know that that's fake but like it's that's kind of like the fun of it like it, it was very similar to like like you it 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 may it challenges its viewers to buy into what it's doing which i don't think a lot of films now like a lot of horror comedies do where they kind of like they don't ask their viewers to they like do a lot of exposition they do um there, it's a little more cut and dry, but this movie asks a lot of its viewers and, and the, the viewers and the really... actors. If you think about it, too, yeah, I mean, yeah, like actors, because if because to some extent in pra with practical effects, that's happening, you know, in front of of the actor. It, it's not like visual effects where an entire scenes can play out and the actor is is standing in front of nothing. You know what I mean? But but like it'll get all get added in post, um, and, and I feel like you feel that you feel that in the intensity and the absurdity of, of Bruce Campbell's performance. Like um, he's he is covered in blood at certain points in this movie, or, or you know, like he is uh, you know just like like surrounded by all this absurdity on some level. Uh, and I and I think they they play off each other in that way. Uh, and I, I agree. I think that that's kind of what we're, what we're missing now. Like I enjoy. Um, a lot of I enjoy a lot of uh, CGI even like I think we mentioned the Matrix earlier. That's a movie I think that uses uh, you know like kind of contemporary like computer effects really effectively. But even then, it, it impacts the acting in the opposite direction, and I think I think that works with with what the Matrix is trying to do by being about this whole you know digital space. Um, and then, but then there are so many other movies that now we're, we 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 assume that reality and realness are what we want. But with Evil Dead, if like it's it's good that this kind of looks fake, um, because it's not like it's not like fake in that it, it's it's cheap. It's fake in in that it's like all part of this just fun, outlandish, absurd world. Um, and it's okay for movies to admit that they're they are movies that they are created and made and are part of this uh this outlandish, absurd world. Well yeah. said. All right, guys. Well, obviously, this movie was for Corey. Um. For again, exactly what you said, Corey. Like this movie relies so heavily on the visual medium and just how we kind of 
view films and what a film is able to do. Like Evil Dead, it brought out such a unique feeling in me of just being able to laugh but also be scared while also looking at the screen and just having that awe in the back of my mind of how in the hell did they film this? And that is something very much for me, like, I mean, I'm a huge superhero fan. Endgame is insane. But with Endgame and your superhero movies um, and a lot of sci-fi movies nowadays is you don't have that practical um, effect. You don't have that wonder in the back of your mind. How is this filmed? You're You're always just like, okay, this was made on a computer where you watch a movie like Evil Dead 2 and like the moment when the hands cr- crawling through the wall and then uh, Ash gets sprayed with the blood through the wall and it's just like, that is hysterical, that is creepy, but also they film that for real. Like he's getting pelted by like a, uh, <laughs> by uh, a power wash right to the face of blood. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, like, I mean- Evil Dead very much is um, something that really wraps up everything. What I what I love about movies, um, and again, I'll, I'll kind of we have this theme of like talking about what we appreciate about movies. And my favorite movie of all time is Jaws. And in my opinion, I think Jaws very much is a perfect blend of all three of these movies because you have your pretty amazing visuals with the fact that they're filming everything on the ocean and characters are being eaten. And this is something that is seen for the first time on screen. And it is just so guttural and just impressive in the fact that they built a real shark to be able to operate in the ocean, even though they had a ton of issues filming it, they still managed to pull it off and they used film in such a way that they were able to create a story based off of the footage that they were able to get you get characters that are well written like in mystic river um yeah and i feel like for for me the movies that i i really love are the ones that both play into the drama and the dialogue but also with visuals because with with visuals there's there's just something that can really draw your attention to it and just make your jaw drop at times i mean with akira the animation that is just stunning and you you never want to take your eyes off the screen very much the same way with evil dead 2 and having that the connection where you're you're I'm going to bring it back to soul where you're so guys, (laughs) where you are so in the zone that you don't want to break that connection with what you're watching. And don't get me started on the zone. (laughs) I know. know. Having those real practical effects is just something that really grounds the movie so much, whether it be for a comedic gag or something to scare you. Um, And it's, it's also just, it, it's such an art like evil dead 2 all of whether it be claymation or the makeup that they do in that movie is just it's it's breathtaking and you have to uh just like picture yourself in the in the room while, the, while they're trying to conceptualize these these deadites and 
making them come to life. And and the world building with Evil Dead and especially Akira is just insane to me. So, like, all of these movies really set such an atmosphere of the period they're set in, whether it be the future, the mid-2000s, or some cabin in the woods. All of them were very engaging to me and very entertaining. Um, and just overall, like, why I really love movies, especially with, like, Akira and Evil Dead 2. Like, they're just... I mean, I love movies, guys. I love movies. And I'm glad I get to talk yeah. about them with you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. For Dane, everyone. <laughs> Dane, you, Dane, you absolutely killed it. I think these were the three most fun movies to talk about that we got got a chance to talk about in this series. Um, and overall, like I think this was a very Dane, maybe not Mystic River, but Akira and... And uh, Evil Dead Two were very you, yeah, through and through. And well, um, I I will say, blast to watch. Evil Dead Two and Akira were the two movies I knew for a fact I was picking. Mystic River was one I had to do some digging for. Um, yeah, but yeah, like I'm I'm so thrilled that you guys liked Akira and Evil Dead Two for the reasons why I love them. Sam, I I can't believe I broke you. Dude, I know. I, I, I broke I'm still you. Shocked I came by through. It. I'm still I, I'm still shocked by it. it. Really is a testament to to both Dane and 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 the, the slate of films that that Dane picked that he was able to do that for for Sam of all people. Yeah, I know my I like it is an actual Christmas miracle. I got you to like or a Toyota Thon miracle that I Samir on the other I hand got you will, to like will always a, just hate things. That, that, I think yeah, this, I mean Samir this episode a, completely confirmed that. Case. Yes. Yeah, there's no hope for Samir. Yeah. I got Sam to like a semi superhero movie, action movie, and a horror movie. Um, so I take that as a win. And I'm yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys job, uh really like these movies. I mean both of these are, are ones that I will continue to rewatch for um especially Evil Dead and Akira for the rest of my days. I'm uh I, honestly big thanks to the pandemic for giving me the time to watch these. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is cool. That all I think all four of us pick, or I'm trying to think about your Samir's. I I can't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like for most of us picked movies that we had found at least somewhat recently. If it wasn't during the pandemic, it was at least in the past like year or two, which is uh still still pretty cool. That uh that um I don't know, good movies can always come into your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, it's definitely a testament to just how these movies hold up, but how movies will continue to affect us like in the future i mean these evil dead 2 um and akira both movies set in the 80s both movies i just watched this year and had such an like otherworldly experience watching them uh so yeah i mean listeners if you watch these movies i hope you like them as much as we did as much as i did um Guys, do you have anything else to uh, to say before we close out? Should we give our really quick rankings? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh, good call. Our yeah, rankings. I'll just say really, really quick. I I've been stubbing stewing over this because there. This is like the closest and hardest it's been. Like, usually, it's been pretty obvious to me. Uh, I think my gut tells me to still. Akira is definitely my number one, and then I would put. Uh, I think Mystic River number two and Evil Dead two uh, number three. Really? Um. But putting that third is not an indictment of Evil Dead 2. I, I really liked uh, all three films a lot. 
Yeah, mine is mine is the same. Um, in retrospect, Evil Dead Two is probably not a five star. Uh, but I was really, I was just thoroughly, thoroughly entertained by that movie. Uh, entertained like I hadn't been in a very long time. But yeah, I gotta say, Akira is just a masterpiece. That is number one. Uh, Evil Evil Dead Two is also a masterpiece for its genre. It just doesn't scratch the itch that Akira does. Um, and then I would have Mr. Rivers. But all three are are very very much worth your time at the very least. Yeah, my uh my list is exactly what Sam said with Akira at number one, Evil Dead Two at number two, and Mystic River at three. Uh, I mean, one and two are. They're masterpieces, and I'm glad I got to share you, them with you guys as fellow movie connoisseurs. I'm I'm so glad you guys like them. And uh, with that said, this closes Dane's episode. Now talking in the third person, Dane's episode <laughs> of the Don't Hate Us podcast. And I hope you guys join next. I can't even talk. I hope you guys join next week. <laughs> For our very intense and heated debate of Pixar's soul. I'm sure it will be very, very juicy. Later.